Well, here we are. It is 2011, and here it is. And if we didn't know, if we didn't have a calendar, if we didn't have marker of some sort, we really wouldn't have an idea that it was any different than the day before yesterday, would we? 2011, the, <clears throat> the only thing is, maybe the only thing about it is it's maybe a little warmer than it was in the end of 2010. But there's no promise that it'll stay that way. I was doing a little ruminating as best I could after a long trip back from Missouri and sitting on the recliner there and thinking about, you know, the things I would like to do this year and the things I would have liked to do last year that I didn't do. And I decided to go ahead and write them down and be as uh, brave as to, to share some of these things. Actually, I think I sh shared pretty many of them. So I just run over them to give us give you kind of an idea of where my mind is wondering about or was wondering about. My, I, I've titled it My New Year's Resolutions slash Wishes. Now, I'm not, when I say here resolution, resolutions, uh, the slash wishes actually come through more predominantly than the resolutions. So keep that in mind as I read over these. My New Year's resolution slash wishes. Well, number one, spend, time, spend less time in the office doing things that are mundane and necessary. Spend less time in the office doing things that are mundane and necessary. Uh, my wife, she had a few words about this after I was done. I'll share them. Spend more time outdoors working in the garden, driving tractor, interactive work with the children. Number three, spend lots of lazy days this summer with the family floating the Stanton River fishing, gigging, and just being a river rat. Uh, then spend several days trout fishing in the nearby mountains, finding favorite fishing spots that would make even Pat McManus drool. Number five, spend a couple weeks in the glorious days of Virginia fall deer hunting out of a campsite in the mountains. Number six, this is a larger one, finish paying off the home mortgage. I have several dots behind that one. Obviously, this isn't going to happen with all these other things going on, for sure. Well, anyways. Number seven, visit friends in Romania, Belize, Guatemala, and Peru. Now, these aren't put down as, you know, a list of priorities, you know, uh, top to bottom. I just put them in there as they came to my mind. Preach deeper and more meaningful sermons made possible by less study and more time in God's great outdoors. A smiley face after that one. Spend time with fellow brothers in the respective workplaces. A day on the farm with Uncle Delvin, a trucker's run with Naaman, a day at the mill with Uncle Joe, uh, a day at school with Chad, a tour of Liberty with Galen, a tour of, I think it's B&W, with Greg, a tour of CLP with Leon, and help Brother Ed greet some shoppers and pack some shelves at Walmart. Now, I'm not sure if Brother Ed's still doing that or not, but... And then a date a week with my lovely wife. You know, the kind you read about in the marriage counseling books where it's just you and her and someone else takes care of the children. A time set aside just to discuss all the needs, hers, mine, the children's, grandpas and grandmas, just once a week. And then number 11, find a job that pays more and has less stresses. Another smiley face. Now, I'm not trying to waste your time here. I, I, I think I'm... The reason I'm, I'm 
saying these is I think we can all associate with these things that we like to do these. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, there I look back and I say, wow, I haven't had near as much time with the children. Or I haven't done this or that or the other. And we find that that we just don't get around to all the things that we'd really like to, to get out of life. Uh, we all know what it's like to have set high goals and high deals. And for most of us, we know what it's like not to have met our high goals and high ideals. And perhaps for some of us, we find ourselves depressed because it seems like our, our high goals and our high ideals aren't materializing or aren't going to materialize. And so we become depressed. You know, am I going to be able to spend a few days on the Stanton River uh, just boating with the boys this summer? Maybe, maybe not. I thought I would last summer. It didn't happen. So should I be depressed? I hope not. That's not a good recipe for a happy new year, is it? To be depressed. And that's the title of the message, A Happy New Year. You know, it's something about setting high goals and high ideals and maybe not even, uh, you know, just for times, for good times, setting it and also realizing what the reality of life is and trying to, to bring a balance not like Uncle Joe was talking about this morning where a balance or an equilibrium is when everything just stops, but a balance in where life is a good balance for, for reality and also for, uh, for the realities we have, for the responsibilities that we have, and also with the things that make life exciting for us and our children and those around us. I'd like to read out of uh, Colossians 3. A true center of Christian life is how it's titled here in my Bible. Colossians 3, read through verse 17. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and not covetousness, which is idolatry. For which sake this, the wrath, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and that which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which, ye are all, which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If ye then be risen with Christ. I've yet to find a biblical precedent for wishing someone a happy new year. Do you read in the Bible anywhere where the Jews gathered together for new year? Now, in the Old Testament, I do think that uh, the new year started their first month. I think God ordained to start at the time of the Passover. Am I right in that, Joe? Do you know? I, I th it's one of those, but God ordained it to start at the at the first of the that the first month to be at. Uh, I believe it was at the Passover. But we don't read a lot about, um, you know, we don't read anywhere about you know wishing someone a new year, happy new year, and in fact, matter of or in fact is probably. Uh, there are things done in the new year that people regret for the rest of their for the rest of the year, I suppose. But it can be a good time for us to set a landmark. Um, it can be time for us to to review where we're at and and as a marker and see where kind of to to judge our direction. I think our landmarks though really are not determined at all. The Christian's landmarks aren't determined at all by the New Year's or these kind of markers, but they're more determined by events. Decision to follow Christ, that is a tremendous landmark for the child of God. To have a companion, to become married, that's a landmark. To have responsibilities, uh, those are landmarks. They're not the result of a New Year's resolution, but a result of us accepting God's role for our lives. God has designed our life, irregardless of our New Year's resolution, and it's up to us to take on these responsibilities, regardless of what time of the year we find ourselves in. Just for an example, I'd find it worrisome if one of these young men or ladies, eligible young men or ladies here would say, you know, they want to be married by the end of the year. Or, you know, they're, one of the New Year's resolutions is to be married. Uh, we wouldn't feel comfortable with that kind of resolution, would we? It's that, that event is much larger than a, uh, a marker or time of year. Jeremiah 10.23 says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So in a sense, some resolutions really couldn't be right. Uh, it's not in man to make some decisions. Uh, now, there are right resolutions, I believe, and there are wrong resolutions, and maybe there are immoral resolutions, resolutions that fall neither here nor there. And I'd like to look at some of these. I've, I've categorized them a bit here to give the thought of what I'm trying to bring out. A wrong resolution, we'll start on the negative here. A wrong resolution is one that focuses on my own desires, what I want. Those resolutions tend to assert God's providence and say, 
I will be, or give the thought that I will be in control of my life. I will be what I want to be. Those kind of resolutions make the ambition the focus at the expense of all else. They make the ambition the focus at the expense of all else. I remember the story told when I was in school of a uh, prominent politician who felt like he had reached a ceiling. He was in D.C., and I don't know how far he had gone, Senate, Congress, I don't know where he was at. But somehow he felt like he'd reached his ceiling, and he felt like it was God-imposed. He felt like God had somehow put a ceiling so he could, that he couldn't get higher, and he was upset. He felt frustrated at God for, for this. He felt like God was holding him back. And in this uh, story, and I believe it's true, I, it was told to me as true, uh, this politician finally literally shook his fist at God and told God that to leave him alone, he would take care of himself. He wanted to be where he wanted to be, and he didn't want God to run interference with him. And uh, the story goes on that years later, the politician, this politician, really regretted his decision. Says he got where he wanted to be, but in the process he lost his faith in God and, and uh, regretted, deeply regretted his rash course. Um, he, felt like, he felt like he couldn't come back to God again. These decisions, when we make them on our own and when we push ahead or when we make ambitions the focus at the expense of all else, they become very expensive or they can become very expensive. And that's a wrong resolution if we go at making choices that way. Judas made a wrong resolution. And he didn't make it on a time frame or schedule, I don't think. But he made a resolution when he determined to sell Jesus to fill the money bag. You know, I don't think, looking at Judas, I don't think that Judas ever thought that Jesus couldn't or wouldn't just move out of that. I think he thought there was some way here he could fill the money bag and keep on going. And all would be the same. Jesus would take care of himself. But he chose a means here, again, that, that uh, couldn't be justified. The end never justifies the means. He chose a means here to an end that he thought was good, but that means didn't glorify God. And Judas goes down in history as being Judas, Judas the betrayer. Everyone knows who you're talking about when you talk about Judas or being a Judas. Judas the betrayer, he chose a means, he chose a resolution here that didn't glorify God, and God didn't honor that, of course. So wrong resolutions, making a, an ambition or a, an end so high that we're willing to do whatever it takes to get there, that's a wrong resolution. That's an ambition at the expense of godly prudence or godly direction, and God can't honor that. Another res wrong resolution is one that doesn't give God or excludes God and doesn't give him his rightful devotion. 
In Malachi 3.8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. What would God say about me, about you, about us this morning, about our tithes and offerings? Literally, our tithes and offerings, what we put in the offering plate. What would he say about our the way we give of ourselves? I don't say this to throw guilt trips out there. It's just something to think about. Um, I think it's good for us to, to look at things like this. Have we robbed God, God in 2010? Is there a way that we can do better in 2011? What about robbing God in Bible reading, in prayer, in intercession, in praise? We listened to a story here on the way on our trip that uh, of, it's a story of the Pent family. It's an impressive story. It's, uh, it's titled Ten Peas in a Pod. It's about a ministering father and and his wife, and and they uh, had eight children. His goal was to raise his family in a very godly manner. Um, part of their diet, um, or Bible diet, was each of the children was required, at, at least at a certain age, was required to read the Bible 30 minutes after each meal and one hour in the morning. And the result is pretty amazing. By the time the children were 15, 16, they could recite long passages of Scripture. Some of their children could even recite the whole New Testament. Their, their uh, sons were on various occasions put on, they would go to different churches ministering and just telling people, read the Bible, just immerse yourself in the Word and read the Bible. I mean, it's just, that was the focus. It wasn't a doctrinal focus of any sort. It was just... Uh, just read the Bible, uh, read it more. And uh, several times their, their children were put on stage and, and people from, just as an example, and people from the stage would call up maybe just a verse or, or just a, a few words of anywhere in the Bible. And these children, uh, Paul and David, especially the two of the boys, any verse that was called they could finish for the person's calling it. It didn't matter where it was, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, that's impressive, but that wasn't the end goal. The end goal was is these children learned the Bible very well from beginning to end, and it, it really made a difference in their lives and the lives of their children as well. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. 119, 140, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Psalm 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of the righteous judgments endureth forever. And then John 17, 16, and 17, this is the end of Christ's high priestly prayer. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Going back here again to this thought of do we lightly 
I don't want to say, in a way I don't like to say, do we rob God, but do we take lightly this opportunity we have? When we limit, ignore, put aside God's word for other things, I believe we are robbing ourselves, robbing God. We, we take away from ourselves light, purity, truth, like it says in these verses, righteousness and sanctity or holiness when we don't put time like we should for, for God's word. You have robbed me, you are cursed with a curse, it says, and that curse was in fact the, the effect of them not having given like they should have. Then we have a moral resolutions or, or self-betterment maybe is a better term. You know, resolutions to exercise more, to lose weight, spend more time with piano lessons, learn another language, learn to ripstick. For you know, for all of you know that what ripsticking is, that's a pretty, pretty serious resolution there for anyone that's past 19 years old. Oh, I won't go in. You can ask somebody about that later if you'd like. Spend less time reading the news or being on Facebook. Oh. These are maybe resolutions. You know that something's taking of your time that that uh, you just kind of like to to be without, or maybe there's a weight that you'd just rather be without, or you'd rather feel better, you know, so you exercise more. Self-betterment. They're good resolutions. And probably resolutions that don't last too long for most people because habit patterns don't change that easily. That's, I think, what the world often talks about when they talk about making New Year's resolutions. But can we look at, say, Happy New Year's and, and have good resolutions that will, in fact, truly make us happier for the year of 2011 and carry on to 2012 and on out? Can we do that? I believe we can. And uh, here we come to right resolutions. They differ from betterment types of res resolutions in that their focus is on Christ. And these resolutions, I don't believe, should be reserved for the new year. But we're here now, so maybe it's a good time to talk about it. These are life choices that are made on God's timetable as and as an answer to his call. And I, I'd like to, what I'd like to focus on here is we've made maybe commitments. We've made resolutions maybe that God has called us to make. Maybe it was during revival meetings. Um, perhaps God's spoken to you recently about something in your life. Um, and, you know, we've decided to change, to do something better or to uh, go another step. Maybe now's a good time to, to reinforce that step that we've taken, that resolution that we've taken. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So in Christ, we're new creatures. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. 
and I'm talking to us this morning as new creature people. The new creature, new creature choice. I'd like to read Second uh, Timothy 2:20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The new creature choice, I believe, is making himself. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Talking about works here, but we are. Making oneself into a better vessel. Now, is that possible? I believe it is. Um, it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. I read this passage several times. Paul was addressing, uh, the people he was addressing there were in the middle of a lot of strife, heretical doctrine, and that sort of thing. And Paul's wanting to strengthen the, the godly people there. And he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these things, or from these, these that are promoting heresy, these that are promoting strife, these that are tearing down, that uh, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Now, I don't propose or I don't uh, proclaim to understand this passage completely, but this is the way I would understand it. You know, in a great house, you have good vessels. You have great vessels. Those might be the wine goblets. And you also have the dog bowls. The master of the house, he's no, by no means going to want to take his wine out of the dog bowl. He wants it out of his fine goblet. It must be served in the best vessel. He doesn't want it tainted by, you know, the dog's saliva or any other thing. He wants that wine to be pure, good wine. In the case of the dog bowl or the, or, or the goblet, they're both set materials. They can't change themselves. But in vessels in God's kingdom, it seems like we have the ability to become more fit, more honorable in God's service, and more pleasing to God. It says, if a man disassociate himself from the dishonorable vessels, if he strive for the good and godly, if he avoids strife, and I'm paraphrasing this here, and seek to be useful in God's service, uh, he can become a vessel that is fit for the master's use in a vessel of honor. I'd like to dwell on this thought just a bit. Time can be a valuable way of checking our progress and seeing how, how we're progressing in this area. Are we still you know, being used as a dog bowl? And I'm not saying this in any context in church work or that I'm talking about our relationship with God here. I'm talking about how do we, um, do we, is God being able to, to um, use us as a good witness for him? Is he able to use us as a good um, person in our community, in our family? And time has a way of, you know, of, of helping us to look at our lives and seeing where we're at. Is this thing that I was struggling with last year, is it still here 
this year? Or has have I, by the grace of God, been able to uh, move ahead to get that you know, anger problem resolved or to get over that those feelings toward another brother or sister? Well, whatever it is, you you know, I, I'm not I don't want to I don't want to uh, be putting these things out there. You know, between you and God, how that your relationship is, how, if you're if you've become more of a vessel of honor or not. I put down here, taking out of Colossians 3.15 through 17. I want to read these verses again. And I've titled um, Four Ways to Become Vessels of Honor. Let's read this passage of first. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of God or of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So out of these verses, I've chosen four ways for us to become vessels of honor. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the word of God, Christ, dwell in you richly. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks or be thank, be ye thankful. Starting with let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Just some thoughts on these verses here. Don't let external things rule your heart or take away your oneness with God. Don't let the outside the influences from outside come and take away the oneness you have with God or rule your heart. Don't let those advertisements you see make you discontented with what you have. Don't let your heart be seduced by things that don't have eternal value. If it doesn't have eternal value, look at it like that. You know, this thing is temporal. It's not going to be around but so long. How will it help out in my walk with God? Uh, is it how big a deal is it to me? First John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And then there's, and then John 4.18 following, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. I have a story I'd like to read in relation to that. It's not necessarily written by, I don't know that it, it was about a Christian uh, even, but uh, a Christian responded in such, I mean, a, a person responded. This is a story of a, of a response that was, that was, if you will, Christian. And I just thought it went well with, with, uh, with this let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This was told by on NPR by Steve Insky, and uh, it was about it was one of their StoryCorps stories that I pulled off of NPR's website. Mr. Julio Diaz, a social worker, and it's a transcript. So I get off the train and I'm walking toward the stairs, and this young teenager pulls out a knife. He wants my money, so I just gave him my wallet and told him, "Here you go." 
He starts to leave, and as he's walking away, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you want to, if you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. This is the Diaz talking here about the mugger. So, you know, he's looking at me like, what's going on here? And he asked me, well, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, I don't know, man. If you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then I guess you must really need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was go get dinner. And if you really want to join me, hey, you're more than welcome. But I'm like, look, you can follow me if you want. You know, I just felt like maybe he really needs help. This is Diaz talking about this, the mugger who had pulled a knife on him. So, you know, we go into the diner where I normally eat. We sit down in the booth and the manager comes by. The dishwashers come by. The waiters come by to say hi, you know. So the kid is like, man, you know everybody here. Do you own this place? I'm like, no, I just eat here a lot. He said, but you're even nice to the dishwasher. I'm like, well, haven't you been taught to be nice to everybody? So he's like, yeah, but I didn't think people actually behave that way. So I just asked him, I'm like, you know, what is that you want out of life anyway? He just had the, an almost sad face. Either he couldn't answer me or he didn't want to. The bill came and I looked at him and I'm like, look, I guess you're going to have to pay this bill because you have my money and I can't pay for this. So if you give me my wallet back, I'll gladly treat you. He didn't even think about it. He's like, yeah, okay, here you go. So I got my wallet back and I gave, you know, I gave him $20. I figured it might, maybe it will help him. I don't know. When I gave him the $20, I asked him to give me something in return, which was his knife. He gave it to me. You know, it's funny because when I told my mom about what had happened, you know, no mom wants to hear this. But with her, she was like, well, you know, you're the type of kid that always, if someone asks you for the time, you gave them your watch. I don't know. I figure, you know, you treat people right. You can only hope that they treat you right. It's as simple as it gets in this complicated world. I thought it was, it was, uh, this was posted on Menolink and I read it and I, I thought it was a, a good uh, response and also a good illustration for the way that, that a Christian can respond to a situation. I don't know if this man was a Christian or not, but he definitely had a Christian's response. See, there was a, he had a superseding, if, I, if, if that's the right word, uh, peace in his heart. Or he wasn't afraid of that person. He saw that person as an individual. And, and uh, his love for that person or his interest in that person won the day. Now, not every outcome will be this good. But I do believe if the peace of God is ruling our hearts, the potential for a good outcome is is there. And those that are... The muggers won't fail to notice that. Wow, time has got away. Be thankful. I'll try to get through this quickly. Be thankful. Make a point of thanking the Lord for everything. For sunshine, for rain, salvation and trials, the comforts of life. And read the news, the mission publications. Read Voice of the Martyrs or other publications where it gives uh, what life is like for Christians in other parts of the world that uh, don't have it as well as us. It'll make you more thankful and uh, it'll make you more willing or make us more willing to, uh, to chip in wherever we can. 
Be thankful in heart, word, and deed. Express your thanks to others and receive others' thanks graciously as well. Let the word of God of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's one I'd really like to key in on for myself and as a challenge to you. Immerse yourselves in the word of God. Sometimes I think we kind of brush over this. I know I've heard preachers say this, you know, uh, read the word of God more, take more time for devotions. We're like, well, we're busy. We're busy enough the way it is. And, you know, we don't see how we can do it. And I just encourage you, um, and I, I believe we need the encouragement on an ongoing basis. This is what we really need is the word of God. It's the most accurate source for us knowing God. Why wouldn't we read more? I believe that we should read even when we don't understand. That the understanding will come as we diligently give ourselves to reading. I believe it's like learning a language. As we, as we get in the language, as we immerse ourselves in it, the understanding comes that the dots start connecting. And I just encourage you to, to do that. It's something I want to do much more of. I've, I've felt uh, challenged to do more of. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus apply the word of God. The Pharisees read the scriptures. They understood the scriptures. They taught the scriptures, but they didn't apply the scriptures. It's important that we bring this all together in our experience and, and the word of God go forward out of our lives. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, making or means making our decisions in the light of the word and then executing our actions in the way that Christ would. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would Jesus have me respond this way? Would Jesus have me do this? Would Jesus... Have me not do this. Um, applying the scriptures and doing it in the name of the Lord. Well, here we are. Happy New Year. Um, you know, you, you and I may not get whatever we'd want or whatever we'd like in this year of our Lord, 2011. We may have disappointments. We don't know what's ahead for this year. We may see things go backward rather than forward. We may not be able to do as many of the good things that we'd like to do. There are certain constraints that we have in our life over which we have no control. But what we can have, what we do know is that we can be happy in the Lord. We can have the peace of God. We can be thankful. The word of God can dwell in us richly. And we can do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I believe if we use that recipe, we can have a happy, fulfilled 2011. And uh, we can be blessed. God bless you all. I'm going to ask for another song. And then, uh, Brother Naaman, would you close the service?